My name is Dario Hasenstab. I have a degree in international affairs and I'm here with Balder Hagrids, a former university professor of mine as well as an IR consultant. Together, we are bursting the Western bubble. Today, we will analyze the internal weakness that the West is experiencing and how that influences external actions. As always, we do this through the lens of the Western bubble, well, because while Western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the Western bubble. But Boulder, what really is the Western bubble? It's the idea that Western countries suffer from delusions about who they are, uh, domestically as well in their behavior towards the rest of the world, and they specifically are caught in their ideas about democracy and liberalism that those credentials make them their actions constructive and positive towards the rest of the world, um, even though we see continuously destructive behavior. Every episode of this podcast follows the same structure, if we can call it that. In order to analyze uh, what each topic is about, we aim to answer the following questions. What are the facts where we provide a factual basis for our analysis? What is the bubble where we analyze the overarching problem of Western delusion? What is the personal bias where we see how leaders, especially Western leaders, are affected by non-rational factors? What is the damage where we look into how and why the Western bubble is harmful? And finally, what is the future where we lay out how each topic might develop down the line? If you would like to know more about how this podcast started or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. This being said, uh, let's get to it. Um, Balder, you texted me uh, two weeks ago um, about uh, right after the row against weight decision and how this is a good example of rot setting into the Western bubble. And then um, a few days ago, uh, Boris Johnson uh, stepped down as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, which is another great example of, of that of that rot in the Western bubble. So in today's episode, we will analyze kind of where is this coming from and how to react to this. We will not be discussing the issue of abortion itself or UK politics, but rather the underlying dynamics on, on these institutions. Um, so to, to get started, uh, Balder, what are the facts when it comes to the rot setting into the Western uh, into the Western bubble? It's not so much maybe a fact sheet, but I think it's important to remember the or sort of recognize the three stages that exist in our development, societal development in Western countries. The first is hundreds of years, arguably thousands of years, if you want to go back to uh, ancient Greece, um, of slow steady development at some point um, accelerated towards the current democracy that we live in. This was a very long-term process that's at the very minimum took hundreds of years if you want to start in the 17th century with that. Um, that slow process then has led to a historically very short-term project so far. Um, the current model of Western liberalism has only existed for roughly 50 years. It was about 100 years ago that emancipation took hold, that uh, women were allowed to vote finally. 100 years ago is not that long ago, but it was only 50, 60 years ago that the civil rights movement in the United States actually managed to include the whole society and ended segregation. So we're talking about a very long, arduous process that leads to, so far, a very short-term historical project. That then leads to the 1990s, where you have um, a decade in which it seems as if the Western liberal project has been consolidated, has been uh, shown to be a success. We found a magic formula. And then, unfortunately, the third stage that I think it is important to remember, to, to recognize, is then the 21st century, where that that 
short-term exuberance in the 1990s about we finally figured it out, we've got the model down. In the 21st century, she sees very clear uh, dynamics, very clear signs that the model is once again failing, or at least decaying, is rotting, is, is doing worse. Why is it rotting? Because the very foundations that took so long to build, strong institutions, strong middle class, a neutral, non-political civil service, a not neutral, non-political um, legal system is being undermined by dynamics in the 21st century. Um, so what is it always about the, the 1990s uh, and something, something going wrong there? Uh, because if, if it was going so well for, for the West, then, then what's the moment? I mean, why can we look at this moment and say, oh, this is the moment where things started going wrong? Uh, what, what do we do wrong here or right? Well, so um, it's one thing to remember is that there's never been a perfect uh, a, a perfect situation of the of of the Western liberal model, right? It's never reached perfection in any way, shape, or form. But the 1990s were this moment where um, we just had finished a century where first in the late 19th century um, Western liberal democracy saw off anarchism, socialist movements. Um, as in communist movements, um, you know, to, to be more exact. Um, Marxism challenged this idea of liberalism, and it seems that liberalism won. Then you've got the, 21st, uh, the 20th century, where you've got the rise of Nazi Germany, and once again, liberal democracy can claim to be the winner, even though communist Soviet Union has something to say about that, of course. And then you've got, in the second half of 20th century, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Once again, reinforcing this idea that liberal democracy is the only way to go, is the magic formula that makes it happen. Where it goes wrong is that this is a long-term dynamic process where, over time, institutions that are necessary for that liberal democracy need to be strengthened. That middle class needs to be strengthened. The civil service legal framework needs to be strengthened. The role of politicians and the respect for the system needs to be strengthened. Slowly over time, it gets more and more strengthened with some big, big moments, such as women's right to vote, civil rights movement. Over time, it gets stronger and stronger. In the 1990s, people lay back and say, we're done now. We're victorious. We've beaten the Nazis. We've beaten communism. Now we can just enjoy our well-deserved peace. We're going to um, live in this liberal democratic model forever. Other countries will join us as time goes by. China and um, other dictatorships in the Middle East will, will become like us. And uh, history is basically solved. We're finished. And which can then be uh, summarized or is embodied by Fukuyama's The End of History. I mean, it's, it's, it's this reading that every politics student has to go through uh, we will <clears throat> we will make sure to to link that in the in the post description below and have a little bit of an explanation of it, but basically where an IR scholar uh, then said, okay, that's it. The West has won history. We've found the best model possible. We can basically end it here and just live with this model for for the for the rest of rest of our lives. Which he then later acknowledged himself that, well, that article uh, was. I mean, made it was became very popular for the, for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. No, it's. I mean, I, I would very much recommend anyone who is listening to this and hasn't read it to read uh, first the paper and then he published a book in, after the success of the paper. Uh, it's a very interesting paper. It's completely wrong, but it's 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 a very intelligent and good analysis that 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 rides on that wave of positivity about where we're at. You know, and and I I as a child. 
I remember I grew up still being afraid of the bomb. And I remember realizing the historical importance of seeing on TV the Berlin Wall fall. I remember the that the thinking, oh, I'm only now 11 years old, but I'm seeing something that's really big. And, and everyone was talking about it. Um, everyone was thinking about the future. And so Fukuyama's paper is riding that wave of, wow, something really big has happened to the world. We have now reaffirmed that we have the magic social formula going forward. When you talk about the bomb, I assume you mean nuclear bomb, right? Right, exactly. The nuclear weapons, um, which in the 1980s were still very much a thing, right? And children were very much aware that at any moment there could be a nuclear war breaking out and that could be the end of their existence. That was something that you would very much realize as a child. So then something I, I, want, I want us to elaborate further on is... Uh, the dynamics that are rotting, um, because so so now we so now in the nineteen nineties, uh, the West is celebrating its victory over history, um, but what is exactly are we celebrating here? It's I mean it's it's because we I don't think we're talking about just um, winning against the Soviet Union, but what type of dynamics um, are there that are seen as the end of or like the best in history? The, like what model are we following here? We I, I mean we're talking about institutions, right? But what type of institutions and what is so so great about these institutions? Well, it's it's a model that um, does not depend on centralized power. Uh, it is a model that uh, focuses on the rise of a middle class that over time has defended the, the rights of the individual to, um, to not be oppressed by government, right? If you go through any historical government forms, from before Western liberalism, there's always an element of centralized power that can take away things justly or unjustly from individuals. And this is this this Western liberal model is one of the first or the first model that actually absolutely guarantees the right of individuals to follow their own path and that path not be taken away from them if they abide by the rules. Um, it is based on institutions that are politically neutral, that are that have been built up over time and that guarantee those rights. It is based on no um, government, no departments within governments, no elements within governments being able to radically, drastically, quickly change those institutions. Um, and it is based on the idea of free choice, right? Uh, capitalism, uh, for all its flaws, and it has many, is a system that allows people to make their own choices. Democracy, for all its flaws, is a system in which people can say, I choose this political party or that political party. Um, liberal outlook in general means that society allows you to make your choices about who you are and who you want to be. Th those are really innovative elements that all together form this Western model. And that seemed to work really well. And by the way, um, we have facts to back up that they've worked well. You know, they, they, they despite many flaws um, over time and that still very much exist, the Western model has provided a lot of human value to societies, education-wise, uh, more children than ever being educated, um, health-wise, people living longer and healthier lives. Uh, just general indicators of happiness have really exploded because of this Western model in many ways. Not that it's the only model that can achieve it, but it can claim a lot of success. 
Um, and then, and then, so so now, so now we're in the 1990s, and we've understood what are these institutions. And as we've discussed before, so now there's rot setting into into the Western into the Western bubble, into the Western system for the last 30 years. How would we describe this rot? And I think the the to go to example, the first one we should look into is then Roe against Wade in the United States Supreme Court. Um, how is this? How is this embodying this rot? Yeah. So. At, at the core of this society, there are a few, there are a few elements mentioned. Strong institutions um, based off an ever-demanding middle class, but also a sense for people working within those institutions and just anyone at large, really, a sense that despite you having your own interests and being part of this capitalist game, if you like, and, and, and wanting to do well personally and wanting your family to do well and not being afraid to compete with others, in order to achieve that, there is an overarching sense that there's something bigger than that, right? And every every healthy civilization throughout history has had this, this sense that there might be problems with your uh, system, but you're all working towards something better. And that is particularly important for people in positions of power. Politicians, um, Supreme Court justices, um, people who may have their own personal biases, may have their own political convictions, but they understand that their work is more than anything a pillar for the society to function in the long term, not just to defend their own little islands of thought and of philosophy and of idealism. And so the Roe v. Wade case may have been a political decision decision when it was made initially, but right now um, what happened last month is very clearly a case of a Supreme Court being filled very quickly because of coincidental factors during the Trump years, very quickly with conservative judges. One part of society, half or a little bit less than half of society, basically getting the the kind of ideological judges they like. And as soon as they can, they overturn a fundamentally important decision in American society. Not one that um, is completely obvious in terms of legalities, in terms of um, legal questions, one that is more than anything political. So you've got Trump filling the Supreme Court with these conservative judges, and rather than saying, now that I am a Supreme Court judge, I, more than anything, have a responsibility towards this liberal, free society to act with modesty, and to make sure that I don't hollow out the very institution that I'm representing, they they jump on the occasion to pick the most controversial, most divisive issue in U.S. society, and they go radically in one in another direction than the direction that um, has been upheld for over 50 years now. And that that choice is so example is such a good example of people no longer believing that they're working towards something better towards this system-based, this this institutions-based society, but that it's, it has becoming more and more a matter of how do I get my tribe, my side of the argument, to as quickly as it can uh, get what it wants, right? How can we, over, we know that Roe v. Wade is our, our main concern. Uh, now we have an opportunity to take it back from the liberals, if you like, from the Democrats, from the um, pro-choice movement, we will take it back, thereby completely discarding 
my responsibility as a Supreme Court judge to uphold, uh, uphold the basic elements of our society. And this is the bubble, right? Is To answer our second question, what is the bubble? Um, so the rod setting in, meaning a, like a tribal interest or an own self-interest, um, is more important now than the overall goal of improving society, working towards a better society. And the, the bubble here is then your own tribe. Or, yeah. or how do we need to understand this? Exactly. So I think psychologically this is probably easy, well, relatively easily explained through the idea that um, when you're working towards a model and you're not sure whether that model is going to work, but you believe that it's going to be, a, that it's a good idea. Let's say, you know, in the in the 1950s, rebuilding your liberal society and, 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 and asking yourself, how can we improve it further, which led to the civil rights movement and all that after the Second World War. Um, how can we improve on, this, on, these, on these pillars? Then you're working towards something and you've got a goal in mind. But now if you then fast forward to the 1990s and beyond, especially the 21st century, it seems that there's no more goal in mind because it seems as if history has been won. So it seems as if the model is there that Western society has figured it all out. And now we can sit back and the only question we have for ourselves is how do we make sure that this model that's going to be there apparently forever is going to work in my favor, not in someone else's favor? How is it going to defend my tribe? So one part of the bubble is this blind belief, not even realization, not even thinking about, just blind belief that the Western model is now done and it's there and it's it's here to stay. And then secondly, caring about your own identity, your own bubble and defending that own bubble against the other bubbles that exist out there, right? And so just competing with bubbles, completely discarding the bigger picture, the bigger picture of a society that still needs to build its liberal credentials, that still has to show history that it can actually survive. And I think to understand the the individual dynamics behind behind these different tribes, I think we we can immediately jump into the into the next question um, because that's always very connected to the to 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 the second one where okay what is the bubble but what is the personal bias here so why are then Westerners I mean first as a society so still what is the bubble thinking that this is the best system that there is. And why is this happening on an individual basis? Why are we individually thinking, wow, this, the Western the Western system is the best one there has ever been? Um, and therefore, we no longer need to work towards improving it. Now it's only about improving my own personal situation. Right. So here, here there is this thing that a lot of people I don't, don't seem to realize is that the fact that we live in a what we call free society does not mean that we are without indoctrination. It does not mean that we are without continuously being bombarded by messages that form our thinking. And um, what's worse often though, that indoctrination is then biased towards your own particular bubble, right? And this gets even more pronounced in the age of internet where you are the victim of algorithms and you only get to hear decide that you choose to uh, click on right. So the the, the the moment you click on a few pro life um, links, then you're gonna get YouTube videos that are supportive of pro life. 
And similarly with pro-choice, if you on Twitter follow some pro-choice people, Twitter is going to recommend further pro-choice people to you. To you, And that creates this bubble. Uh, with respect to democracy overall, we are continuously bombarded with messages, indoctrinated with messages that democracy obviously is the best thing since sliced bread, that it's there, it's going to stay, um, you don't have to worry about it. The, the uh, only question is, is this democracy working for your identity? Is your, the labels that you attach to yourself, to your identity, are they being served by this democracy? Um, then on top of that, there is very much a sense of superiority complex. Um, you know, we, we somehow believe in Western societies that we're better than other societies, where we, we very much believe that we are better than Russian society or that, uh, than Chinese society. Um, which, of course, has no basis in reality, but that is the belief system that we're bombarded with. Um, and, and things overall still seem to go relatively well at an individual level, even though things slowly are getting harder. To, to see the rot uh, through your own bias, through your own bubble, is difficult when you still have a good job, when you can still provide money for your, uh, sorry, um, food for your family, and you can still go on holidays it's very hard to see that things are taking a turn for the worse, even though statistically we know that they are. Um, so so they, they, every, every person in these Western societies lives with this continuous bombardment of everything is fine, move along, and just focus on your own narrow life. When, when, when you talk about bombardment and indoctrination, um, should we put that into the context of Okay, so this is not necessarily state-led propaganda, but more self-fulfilling prophecy or what? I mean, because I think that the, the term indoctrination carries a certain tone with it that uh, we, we might want to be careful with. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we often, you're absolutely right, we, we, we often associate it sort of with a dark totalitarian regime, Orwellian regime that sends us messages, um, big brother, <laughs> you know, like, don't, don't think about the big questions, we will decide for you, that kind of idea. Of course, indoctrination um, can and is often much more subtle. And you're absolutely right, this is not about some conspiracy at a governmental level, um, where they say, how can we now brainwash our population? As far as I'm aware, um, there's no such conspiracy, there's no such thing in Western society, there's no government that actively wants to brainwash us. They want to influence us, like corporations, like everyone else, but no brainwashing. However, the indoctrination exists at a much more subtle level with respect to everyone being convinced that obviously there are some truths, and one of those truths is, for example, democracy is the right way to go, no needs to question it, no needs to you know, let me ask you, when, when was the last time that you read a article in a serious newspaper that said, is democracy actually what we really want to have in our society or should we look for something else? I don't think that ever happened. No, I mean, there, there are lots of articles about democracy, but they're all about how to strengthen it. They're not actually questioning whether democracy is the right path for us, right? So, that, so we are continuously bombarded by some supposed truths through journalism, through conversations with other people. Um, children from a very young age are being told that elections are brilliant and, and that, that elections are the way to make sure that the government stays honest. And there is no deeper questioning of that. So we, are, we live in this bubble that gets continuously reinforced through our own behavior, our behavior as individuals, the behavior of journalists and the behavior of politicians without anyone actually 
being part of a conspiracy to achieve that. So that's important to remember. I think the best way to to understand this, uh, you you mentioned it. It's our attitude towards towards other systems. Um, I I personally feel like whenever whenever you read the news or whenever we there's a conversation happening, as soon as we're talking about the interests of an authoritarian regime, they are undermined um, by us. Well, I mean by 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 the Western bubble because it's like ah, of course this is not Russia saying this, uh, but this is the evil Russian dictator Putin saying this. Um, so we're we're undermining interests of other countries. Um, by downplaying their legitimacy because of their political system, and the same happens what happens with China. It's ah no, it's ach, it's it's not the Chi it's not a legitimate Chinese polit geopolitical interest where let's say maybe they feel threatened in a in a situation, but no, it's an aggressive and because let's be honest, authoritarian regimes always are the aggressor. Um, they're aggressive towards us. So I think this is a, a good way to understand it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and it's it's fascinating to say that of. Authoritarian regimes are always the uh, aggressor. We know historically that the most aggressive actors on the international stage, foreign policy-wise, are democracies, right? Um, totalitarian regimes are actually not that aggressive on the world stage. So the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is actually an outlier. That doesn't happen very often. Why doesn't that happen very often? Because totalitarian regimes have much more to lose from foreign policy going wrong, which in a, a democratic leader has very little to lose. If... George W. Bush can invade Iraq and still be elected afterwards. And if he doesn't get elected, no problem. He will just get a job in the private sector. But Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait eventually leads to his downfall and his execution, right? Those are different stakes. So you're absolutely right. We, we have these, these supposed truths in our minds that aren't actually borne out by reality, but they... They are very clear signs of how we are skewed in our perceptions of the world. China, I mean, I, I'm personally, I love living in Spain and I have no plans to go and live in Beijing uh, because there are some factors that I really enjoy about Spanish society and Western society that I would not have in Chinese society. But China has lifted roughly 500 million people out of extreme poverty into middle class levels of well-being. That is historically an enormous achievement, an enormous accomplishment. Do they, especially within especially within 40 years. In within within 40 years, growing at 10% uh, GDP a year between the 80s and um, a good part of the 21st century thus far. It's 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 now slowing down, but that is an incredible, incredible achievement. Do they get any credit for that in Western society? Hardly. You know, because they are totalitarian regime. But if you look at what should a society aim for, then surely it is making sure that children don't starve, children get good education. And China has accomplished that to enormous levels of success. And yet, Western society doesn't really care about that. They act as if the Chinese model is backward, is wrong, because it is not a Western liberal democracy. Okay, so moving us back to to the rot, as we we summarized earlier, that the overall rot is that we are we're now Western society, and the problem is that we cannot really talk about society, but that now there are tribal interests or individual interests um, are have have more importance than working towards towards a greater good in society. But what are some other concrete um, factors or or basically symptoms we can point to? where this rot is setting into, into Western society? Well, statistically, um, 
as we already argued, you need a, a, a strong middle class um, to be the main pillar of guaranteeing that this society works. And the middle class is under enormous pressures in the 21st century, right? So there's a hard statistic that should concern all of us, namely more people being incredibly rich, more people becoming poor relatively, and not, not necessarily in absolute terms, but relatively, and we're talking about uh, relative levels here, and that middle class is being squeezed. Um, middle class is not growing in their income, and as a result, their political power is on the wane, right? It's, it's, it's clear that they are no longer as influential because there is a larger group of very rich people who are creating networks between each other and are no longer held accountable. That's, that's, that's a huge, huge deal that people do not spend enough time on. Um, then there is then there, there's this aspect of voting patterns, uh, behavioral issues of, in, of, of, of people going against the clear, slow, incremental improvement of our societies and instead voting very specifically for their own individual bubbles, no longer having any sense of the bigger bubble in front of them. And and, and then the thirdly, there, there, there is circumstantial evidence of an internet that is tearing this social fabric apart, right? That is that is forcing people to choose sides and no longer shows any interest in the idea that we're all in one society and we, that we better get along at the basic level. Otherwise, things are going to turn out really badly. So it's this talking about each other rather than talking to each other. So is that... Yeah, well, I mean, how am I understanding as, this? as always with, with, with this conversation, though, we, of course, we don't want to give the impression that before everything was perfect and, and now things are going to go wrong. This is always in a gray area, right? In the past, there were people very much going after their own self, selfish interest. In many ways, capitalism and liberalism encouraged that to be selfish, which is an unfortunate side effect in many ways, but it's, it's, it's an element of liberal society. Um, so it's not as if in the past everyone was just working towards a better tomorrow and now everyone is just caring about themselves. It's, it's not that clear. But what you do see is that people no longer have the same level of regard for basic social institutions, political structures, um, intellectual progress and, and universities, for example, being a source of knowledge and a source of truth. Um, that is completely delegitimized nowadays through the internet, through the idea that everyone is just out there for themselves and it is just a cultural fight between your bubble and the other person's bubble. So it's this hyper-individualism. Is, is that now everyone is their own brand uh, almost and everyone is fighting the fight for themselves and it's more about how can I make it within the system to be the absolute best, I want to become rich, I want to have a house and uh, two children and X, Y, Z. And it's no longer about, again, what I said, it's within the system, it's no longer about improving the system, working towards a greater good. Exactly. So that, that hyper-liberalism um, is, is probably an unfortunate consequence of the very foundations of liberalism, right? Because it teaches people to think about themselves. It teaches people not to think in terms of community, but rather how can I become economically or professionally successful through competing with the society around them. And so in many ways, if we don't moderate those kinds of movements, then it's sort of an inevitable outcome of 
of this foundation. Um, and it is not a matter that before people didn't care about themselves. It is that they always understood that there was always also something bigger. And for example, becoming prime minister or be, becoming a Supreme Court justice carried more than just your own personal ideological uh, agenda. It carried a pride in representing overall society. And you can see this in the behavior of conservative and liberal judges in the 80s, in the 90s, and you can see this in the behavior of prime ministers or presidents. And that has completely changed. Now, when you become someone at a certain level uh, of society, at a political level or at a legal level, you no longer have the same sense of responsibility towards the whole society. You have a sense of responsibility towards your own bubble. Mm. See, this has always been my understanding of uh, this this idea of patriotism in the United States, where uh, patriotism, I mean, yes, does probably have elements of nationalism, um, but it was always more this, ooh, um, our constitution, let's protect our constitution, let's protect this country, let's bring this country forward, And kind of saying that, oh, I love this country more than, I don't know, my wife, my, my husband. Um, so it's, it's this kind of collectively working towards a greater good. And that this patriotism has now, I don't know if it has eroded. I mean, I, I, I for example, when, 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 the, when we had these January 6th uh, attacks or insurgency, I think they officially called it, in the United States where President Trump was, uh, well, I mean, allegedly, again, there's still, there's still the court case happening, but I think... From an outside perspective, we can say that there was there was definitely some some orchest orchestration happening where then Mike Pence, uh, Trump's vice president, refused to um, well refused to well give in to his to his cheating attempts or undermining attempts and said no I'm going to certify this because this is what is in the constitution and this so this for me is U.S. patriotism is that what we are what are we looking into Yeah, and in some ways, I mean, I I've, I've got my own issues with patriotism and nationalism for other reasons, but you're absolutely right that 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 sense of something great or something bigger definitely existed in the United States and to some extent still does. And um, that is increasingly undermined by the sense of individual bubbles, individual identity, that it no longer you no longer care about that bigger picture out there. And other countries, other political systems still have that much more, of course. Um, the, Ch the Chinese model uh, typically... People in China, from how we as outsiders understand it, they still very much believe that they're building up towards a bigger China, a greater China, and they care about that. They care about their society being successful as a whole. I, I had this experience. Uh, so between 2009 and 2011, I lived in uh, the in South Korea, um, and I had this experience there where you have a more collectivist approach to society. And then looking or looking at the West, talking to us, um, we've, I, I was always, well, we were, the West was always described as too focused on oneself. The transfer was made towards society as a whole is, ah, you guys are very self-occupied, uh, occupied with yourselves. And there's, there's no really just working towards a, towards a greater, greater good in society anymore. That's exactly right. I think that you, um, see that humanity we we human beings are social animals and the real danger of a hardcore liberal project is that we forget that aspect and other other systems do not make us forget that qu so quickly so the korean model but chinese model um even to a certain extent the russian model um 
they they have all their flaws, but at least there is a sense of people working all together into one project, right? And 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 that and that and that project um, is no longer as clearly visible. So in many ways, the, the 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 Western liberal model is a is becoming a victim of its own success in that sense. It, it's it's gone in overdrive, whereas it can work really really well in moderation. It can work if it's imperfectly executed but the moment democracy and capitalism become perfect in their in their mechanical sense like it's all about the individual because we've been telling you that it's all about the individual and there's no longer any moderation then that's where that social aspect of humanity collapses and that's when things can go horribly wrong which is exactly what we're talking about today and yeah, perfect transition to the next question what is the damage um so so what happens when when matters go go horribly wrong uh, i think we can observe in the united kingdom yeah well i mean well yeah this um the the situation with boris johnson who has now resigned um but who desperately tried to cling on very similar by the way to what happened to trump in many ways right and and from what we understand is that there were re real concerns in downing street that uh boris johnson tried to pull trump to a certain level with 40 cabinet members resigning but he's still clinging on to power it is that idea that we're now training politicians and uh, we're training leaders we're training even civil servants to think in terms of how can they manage their own how can they manage their own challenges how can they deal with the problems that they're facing rather than saying first your responsibility And pride should lay in the fact that you're representing the whole society. And second, how within that responsibility can you still shape society in the way that you think it should be shaped? That that first step of there's something bigger than your own personal belief system and your own personal interest seems to be completely gone. That leads to Boris Johnson not understanding the incredible damage he does by not leaving when it's completely obvious that he should leave. Trump, I am convinced that Trump has no understanding of the damage of his actions, how that undermines the very core foundations, the very core institutions that you as a president should always upheld or you as a prime minister in the UK should always uh, uh, uphold. Um, and, and, and I believe that, um, so kind of staying on the case study of Boris Johnson, is what, what you mentioned earlier is a symptom of the rot is a middle class voting based on its identity or based on its tribal interest and no longer uh, on the interest of its society was Brexit. Um, and I think this, this is the first time we could see Boris Johnson not being aware of what a greater society, I mean, well, I mean, one could argue that maybe it was be it would be best for British society to leave the European Union. I think we now know that this maybe was not the best the best thing to do. But there you had the first time, at least in the UK and with Boris Johnson, him advocating to the, into that direction and people voting into that direction of, oh, this is my tribal interest. Uh, I stand to potentially benefit from this, but society as a whole might not, but I don't care because this is democracy. By the way, do we also see this on the other side of the political spectrum? Because uh, I mean, I just want to avoid the impression that we we are banging on 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 well, like people on the right uh, on of the political spectrum doing this. Do we also see this on the other side, where I mean, maybe not to this to the extent of the damage, but where you have the left side of the spectrum very much voting into directions that are favoring their own tribe, not society. There, there is still such a thing as a left side of the spectrum, um, in the sense that political uh, the left has political left 
has suffered enormously after the collapse of the Soviet Union because they found it very difficult to find a new identity, right? And they've become mostly, mostly irrelevant in a lot of countries. So if, if you look at most voting patterns, I mean, here in Spain, where we are right now, um, there is a socialist government, uh, but that's sort of an outlier. And even they, if you look at their agenda, their agenda has become, you know, modeled in terms of what they want, what they want to achieve. So the problem is not so much, and it's very good for you to point this out, but the problem is not so much that we are simply criticizing right-wing governments. It's that right-wing movements are the ones in charge, and they have been in charge for the past decades. And that makes a lot of sense within the context of what we're saying. Why? Because... The moment you say, we've got the basis figure out, our system is what it is, and it's not going to go away, then it becomes about managing things. And who do people believe manage things better? The right, right? The left is always there for the bigger picture towards the future. The left is there to say, how can we change society so that everything will be better in the future? Um, more just, more environmentally friendly, etc., etc. But the moment we as a collective say, we don't have to ask ourselves those big questions anymore. Then it just becomes about governmental management. And that's why right-wing parties have been much more successful politically in taking up that managerial role of society, no longer having to explain where they want to go because we don't need to go anywhere. We're fine where we are. And as a result, the rot is setting in. And, and, and so those right-wing movements are mo more responsible simply because of the fact that they're in power, not because we ideologically like to criticize the right versus the left, of course. See, in this, uh, the first time I realized um, this lack of, of moving society or like moving into a bigger picture was when I realized the lack of agendas, uh, at least in Western governments is what I think it was, I believe it was five years ago when I attended an event uh, when a bunch of, uh, here in Spain, in Madrid, um, when we spoke to the German ambassador to Spain and it was a business student who asked um, why there was no agenda within the German government towards a greater good, why there was no agenda 2030, 2040, 2050, because he said that any company, and I mean, I, I, mean, I know that this is true, that any company without an agenda, at least a five or 10 year plan, is going to be become irrelevant anytime soon because society is changing or like the world is changing so quickly. And then, then you look outside of the Western world and you see almost every country um, also happens to be, those happen to be more authoritarian countries have an agenda where it's either in the Middle East, how do we get away from oil? Where it's in China, how do we become, how do we become the strongest economy or the Belt and Road Initiative? And then at the same time, in the West, it's very much just about managing because the Western equivalent to the Belt and Road Initiative is Biden's, what is it called, the Build Back Better program of infrastructure, which I'm not sure how much that is actually planning into the future and how much that is just managing existing problems. Yeah, so the, 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 big, the big projects that do exist are, are very specific projects um, that are focused on exactly those very specific managerial issues. And, and yeah, well, when was the last time, I'm asking half rhetorically, half seriously, when was the last time that you heard a politician hold a speech saying, laying out their plans for the next 20, 30 years for society, saying, this is where I want to take our society in the long term? Uh, Macron in 2017, his Zorbonne speech, um, where he had a somewhat of a vision for the European Union. Um, maybe Ursula von der Leyen, the European Parliament about the European Green New Deal. But as you said, these are very specific things. It's either about 
the environment or it's about the European Union, but it's never about the whole. It's no longer a picture of what kind of society do you want to create as a whole, right? And yeah, we've got managerial problems. We know that and politicians are on it. You know, we have this debate about environment. They're not probably environmentally speaking, they're not on it sufficiently, but uh, there are issues that they are trying to manage. But the moment you're managing without a larger framework in place is when bad policy gets made, right? When in the long term things go wrong. And a really, really good example, by the way, of this, 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 this lack of understanding that you still have to fight for this bigger picture uh, has been the response uh, to COVID, where, where China reacted with strict lockdown the moment COVID appeared, and there was no serious debate now it's it's there a little bit, but there was no serious debate that do liberal societies have the same ability to go into lockdown because doesn't that undermine the very essence of who they are as a society, right? No, people are dying. China has gone in lockdown. Italy, Spain, and then everyone else can also go in lockdown. Obviously, that's what we do. It's a managerial problem. We need to manage uh, this health care. So um, we'll just copy the most effective what we believe to be the most effective um, solution, rather than thinking, hang on, are there certain limits to what a government is allowed to do in a liberal society or not? That that discussion was really not present and still is actually not all that present two years down the line, right? Mm. Um, and so so now I want to take uh, to, to the last question because I think we've sufficiently talked about what the damage is. Uh, I mean, we've seen with, with Boris Johnson, uh, we see it with politicians becoming managers rather than leaders. And so, so let's look into the future. So what is the future? Uh, the question I have is, uh, because I think as, as, as a young person, I have to ask this, uh, because it does sound a lot like, ooh, uh, everything was better earlier, earlier, everything was better. Um, what were societies or what was democracy in particular doing differently, um, let's say 40, 50 years ago uh, to compared to today, where they did not fall into this trap? That because I mean we, we said about the UK is that our Boris Johnson managed to to create an, an idea and then society followed this. Were these were, were there no individuals like Boris Johnson 40, 50 years ago? Or was society stronger in that way? Or were people just smarter? Are we all dumb? That's I think that's my question. Is are young people dumb? <laughs> no, it's it's not about intelligence. Um I I of course there were unscrupulous leaders and politicians in the past and we have to be very careful when um, creating sort of a golden image of something 40 50 years ago because it's completely obvious that a lot of things right now in 2022 are way better than in 1982 for example um, um, the women's right movement has has done incredible things there is probably even though it still exists there is less racism now than there was 50 years ago that doesn't mean that there isn't any left and that we still have to work on it um, so there's probably less sexism, less racism, both issues that still remain relevant today and we need to work on. But without wanting to give that impression that everything was better before, what was there before is that there was a sense that those institutions that leaders were constrained by were stronger and individuals were less concerned on a daily basis with their own tribe, with their own labels, with their own, if you like, even identity than they are now. And so it's not a matter of intelligence, but the new generations are continuously obsessing about their their little islands and, and who they are. And this is, again, this is, the, this is the consequence of a fundamentally liberal capitalist society where you are being told that you have to care about you as an individual. And if you as an individual are not being respected, then you've got a problem. 
Um, and you have to fight for that. Whereas it is fair to say that without the internet, without technological change, and without being 50 years down the line with the liberal project, and without this political bubble of we've got it down now, we don't have to worry about the long term anymore because the long term is always going to be there, you've got individuals, especially younger generations, no longer punishing leaders for disrespecting that very basis because they no longer know how to respect that very basis, right? They, they, they no longer understand the importance of that, of that established foundation for society, those, those institutions, the importance of a middle class, the importance of independent, non-political uh, legal decision-making, uh, judicial decision-making, politicians who will resign if something goes horribly wrong within their cabinet rather than desperately trying to hang on to power. And, and that, is, that is something that's very different now than, than it was in the past. So in the past, there was such a thing as ministerial responsibility. What did that mean? And it didn't always work perfectly, and some hung on to power for far too long. Um, but overall, you had the idea that if you are a minister or secretary of state or anyone who is responsible for a political department, and within your political department, something commits a horrible corrupt act, or someone makes a huge policy mistake that has very significant consequences for society, then even if you, as the minister, as the leader of that department, weren't responsible directly because you didn't make the choice, then you resign. Why do you resign? Because there needs to be respect for that institutional mechanism. That even if it wasn't your own personal fault, you have to take responsibility for the people working for you. That sense is completely gone, right? That, that, that idea that you have to take personal responsibility because you represent something bigger than just yourself is gone. And instead, you've got Boris Johnson desperately clinging onto power, even though it was completely clear after scandal, after scandal, after scandal, months ago, a year ago, that he really should resign out of respect for the office of Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. <laughs> so, so what do we do now? Does everyone have to step down? All Supreme Court justices, all presidents... Um, do we do we need to scale back on hyperliberalism or individualism? So do we need to turn off the internet? What can we do, or is it just because um, this is a thought I had when we were talking? Um, do we just need a new outside threat? Do we need a new big enemy? Um, so 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 what do we do? Like on these three different levels, do we just need more people with I would call it integrity, who are saying, okay, something went terribly wrong here. I'm going to step down. Um, What's, 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 I mean, again, what's the future here? Are we, are we able to give some form of solution or are we just going to be grumpy? It's, it's, uh, it, it's clear that, um, that this is not about some individuals randomly standing up and be more, having more integrity. I, it, this is not a problem of picking a few bad apples and saying we have to replace them, right? This is a long-term dynamic because of the issues that we just mentioned. And the real question, I think, will be much more about whether, we as humanity, Western societies at least, whether we will continue going down this road of algorithms and our, and our own lack of discipline, pushing ourselves towards those little bubbles and forgetting the bigger bubble, right? So if you want to say, how, how can we change this? How can we 
put a positive spin on the current situation, it would be about pointing out that yes, you have your political convictions, yes, you've got your um, own interests to be defended, but please, please, please understand that a that your interests are only going to be properly defended if the whole society functions healthily and well, not simply if your bubble, if your island, if your tribe wins the fight, the the, the short-term political fight, and 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 a very good example of that would be the ever-increasing tolerance for um, wealth accumulation wealth accumulation over and over again needs to be scaled back, right? The idea that people can just become richer and richer without any consequences is, of course, completely unsustainable. At some point, society is going to be torn apart if the middle class gets squeezed, if the rich are getting much, much richer, and they have gone very much down that route over the past 40 years, um, and um, the poor are getting poorer, at some point, that's going to collapse the whole society. So you want to change things? You have to start understanding that your personal economic and political interests only can be served if you live in a healthy, well-functioning, moderately liberal society. And then, so what? So what about the idea of an of an external threat? So yeah, that's right. You, you mentioned this before. Um, the if you remember at the beginning of this episode, we talked about defeating the Nazis and defeating um, communism in the Soviet Union, uh, and that that sort of reinforced liberal democracy, right? For for a short period of time in the nineteen nineties. Uh, those those external actors having a genuine external threat to your society is a really strong motivator if you want to grow because you know that if you mess up there is a uh, there's a direct consequence to messing up right unfortunately for the western uh, model it seems as if um, those western threats are gone um, and, uh, at least in the 1990s it seemed like that and uh, as a result you don't have this driving force you don't have people um, saying okay if we now mess up if we don't do this this and that then we are going to be killed by nuclear weapons or we're going to be put in horrible concentration camps or something like that right and so in the 21st century um, you, you see uh, then all of a sudden uh, this this desperate looking for okay is there still something uh, that threatens us and hang on there you uh, you all of a sudden see dynamics such as uh, the war on terror uh, such as um, uh, COVID and creating a whole new set of circumstances exactly when you do not have an, an actual outside threat um, you, you you might have to create one and I think this ties perfectly into next week's episode uh, when we will talk about the Western illusion or obsession uh, with terrorism. Um, so that means we need some proper state building where we, let's be honest, this generation is lost, um, where we need to go into the schools, have a vision, maybe develop a vision, have some, some leaders who say, okay, so we now want to do some state building. We want to create, and this is again, very sounds very closely to indoctrination, but I think a certain level of indoctrination is fine as long as it's not going going into a negative way where we just say, hey, this is society and we're all well, building building society. We're all working towards a, a greater good. And greater good means that sometimes your tribe has to, I mean, not necessarily lose, but just compromise, right? Yeah, and I, I don't, you, you say that this would be some kind of indoctrination. Um, there is a rational path 
to that conclusion that this is necessary. That's not indoctrination. That's just explaining reality, right? That I, I don't think there's a serious case to be made that individuals can thrive in a society that collapses. You cannot have a society that collapses. So what is the challenge to make sure that society doesn't collapse? Society defends its very foundations. And within those foundations, you can fight for your own side. You can fight for your own political perspectives, for your own maybe personal economic interests, but always respecting that there's something bigger. Um, you know, always respecting, for example, the fact that you should pay your taxes. You know, it's something very simple. But if you don't understand that by not paying your taxes, you're actually undermining the society around you, then you need to be told that. That is not indoctrination. That is basic logical analysis. And 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 so that state building that you mentioned, that's exactly the idea that, that we're all working towards this greater good. And within that greater good, you can pursue your own interest. Surely uh, that is at the absolute basis at the that's the absolute essence of what we all want to achieve right um unless you like anarchy in the long term because that's what we're going to get at some point mm. and i think that this seems like a great moment to end today's conversation um on the internal weakness that the west is experiencing and how that influences external and a lot of internal actions if you have any questions comments or regards make sure to send us an email to jhasenstab at reiagroup.org no worries this will also be in the post description uh, below and we will try to incorporate um, your feedback in the following ep episodes thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today uh, make sure to join us uh, again next week when we attempt to burst the western bubble that's it from my side um boulder which closing quote did you uh, did you pick for us today Well, it's one of the most well-known and therefore slightly cliche quotes, but uh, I think it's very apt given today's topic. It's by Voltaire. I detest what you write, but I would give my life to make it possible for you to continue to write. Mm -hmm.